Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Hey, Venture. I can't think of a better song to prepare us for this sermon. The fact that we're no longer slaves, that Christ has freed every one of us. In fact, will you take a minute and just pray with me? Let's just pray that God works in this message now and that we could really live out that truth. Father, we do come before you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that he paid it all. We thank you that we have been set free, completely free in him. Lord, I pray as we uh, think about living out the kingdom, as we wrestle with subjects and, and topics at times that can be hard, Lord, I pray that you would give us humility, clarity, and the ability to embrace your word as our standard of truth. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we want to continue on in this series, Kingdom Come. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been looking at the big picture story of God's kingdom. And we started from eternity to past to eternity future. And last week we defined and looked, what does that mean for people in the church today? How do we live that out? Now, this week and next week, we want to dive in more of some of the specific issues of our culture and time. How do you live as kingdom people today around the issue of justice? Next week, how do you think as kingdom people around the issue of politics? And, and both of these are subjects that, frankly, we're pretty divided about. And you see that division growing in our country. Sometimes it grows in our churches as well. Now, as we dive in this topic of justice, a couple things I'm going to just ask you to do today. One, one, listen past the buzzwords or the labels. Here's all I mean with that. There, there's so many buzzwords around justice, the term social justice. There's things that as soon as somebody says it, critical race theory, cultural Marxism, there's different terms. And, and you're probably reading a lot. You're hearing a lot with that. I hope that you are. But sometimes we hear it and we kind of immediately lock in. We know what that term means. We know what the, they're going with it. And, and when we hear that, we don't listen past it anymore. And so all I'm going to ask you today is listen with your ears open. It doesn't mean, and here's the second thing, it doesn't mean we have to agree about everything to learn from each other. You know, one of the things that I've been really trying to do is learn from different sources. Read different ones on it. I, I really like Tim Keller. He's really helped me as I, I read through this, but I don't agree with everything in Keller. Another source I like, Vadi Bakum. And, and I like Vadi. Now, he and Keller don't agree in their perspective and ways, but they're both wrestling with it from God's Word. And I think it's important that we don't set up echo chambers, that we only listen to people that agree with us already. And as we come into something like this, we always want to hold to God's Word first. It's our source of truth. But when you're applying it, especially in a modern cultural context, you're going to find some different opinions. And I think it's important in humility, in openness, without letting go of God's Word, but a posture of willing to learn. That's the posture I'm trying to take in this. I, I hope you don't hear in this message today, man, we've got all the answers to this. In, in fact, you're going to notice this message will call us more to big picture principles just some of the big picture things that God's Word says about justice. And, and as we said that, I, I want to start again with that big picture story of thinking about justice 
in light of the good news. How do we think about justice in light of the gospel? In fact, I I think if we don't let the gospel frame our sense of what justice is, we get very short-sighted or we start arguing about different topics within it. Now, when I say that line, and I know what a lot of you may say, you go, well, Tim, we know the gospel. Jesus died, he rose again, and one day we'll go to heaven. No, that's that truncated gospel I talked about last week. That's when we've reduced it just to a ticket to heaven. Remember, the gospel's for all of life now. In fact, I've put in your notes just kind of the four key poles, the four key points of the gospel that you always want to keep in mind, and I'm going to use them to frame our thinking about the subject of justice. So the first one, if you're going to think about justice, you have to go back to creation. The gospel starts with creation. It starts with that first act of God. And under this topic of creation, here's what I'd say. All justice is rooted in the character of God. I would say you cannot understand the topic of justice, social justice. Uh, You can't understand power structures. You can't understand any way that it plays out in culture and civilization unless you start with the character of God first. Because our only understanding of any topic, much less justice, starts with God. Now, I know as soon as I say that, I've lost some of you. Uh, if, if you've embraced a postmodern theory of justice, that you think justice is about power movements or the narrative of the day, I, I, you're not going to agree with me. But I, I just want to say unequivocally, and I'd say that especially for those of us who are Christians, we start with our understanding of what is just, what is justice, by looking at God first. And, and I would encourage you, This is a great way when you think about any topic, when you think about any character, when you think about love, when you think about compassion, when you think about forgiveness, when you think about holiness, when you think about what's right, always start with God. That's why the creation started with God. And we know justice because of Him. The second thing we learn from the creation as well is all people are image bearers of God and worthy of dignity and respect. See, this is the strength of Christianity. We don't reduce justice just to a power structure. For Christianity, justice is always about people. When it's lived out right, it's about people. And it's about people being created in the image of God as image bearers. And when we lose that, frankly, we're wrestling around opinions. You can come up with any justice theory. You can come up with anything that you want to say it's around justice. The fact that Christianity rests in our justice and specifically our social justice comes from the fact that we were created in the image of a just God. And every single person on the planet is his image bearer. No matter your race, no matter your status, no matter your political party, You're an image bearer of God. And for those of us who are living in the kingdom, those of us who want to see his kingdom come, we always start with that every person I interact with every day, they are a full image bearer of God. Now, you say, well, Tim, why is it lived out in that way? Well, look at the second point in it. It started with creation, and it moved to the fall. We had an enemy. We have Satan. He hates us. In fact, the greatest racist that ever existed is Satan. 
Because he hates every race on this planet. And he loves nothing more than turning everyone against each other. You look at that, all humans have been corrupted by sin, and it shapes the way we see ourselves, others, and the world. All of us are corrupted. And and sin has corrupted every part of our lives to the point that it shapes the way we see ourselves. So some of us are corrupted in a way that we see ourselves too highly. We think we're better than others. Some are corrupted in a way that we see ourselves too lowly. Think others are better than you. It shapes the way we see other people as well, either high or low. It shapes the way we see the world itself. And it shapes the systems of our world. You know, I've been asked by some people, they're like, do you believe there's systemic racism? And I go, as long as those systems have people in them, absolutely. Because as people, we have the ability to corrupt any system, anything that's good, because we've been corrupted by sin. And if you don't come to grips with both of those, that this world started a great creation with God. And it started with God. But all of us have fallen. That's why we keep wrestling with this. Here's the third part of the gospel we can never leave, though, is redemption. Redemption. Through repentance, forgiveness, and renewal, Jesus makes all things right. Through repentance. When Jesus showed up on the scene, What did we talk about last week? What was the very first message he repeated or he preached? He said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. Repent literally means you got to turn your life around. You can't live this way. You can't think this way. So the fact that sin has corrupted the way you see yourself, the fact that sin has corrupted the way you see others, the fact that sin has corrupted the way you see the world, you can't stay stuck like that. You have to repent. Repent, but then notice the second part of the gospel, there's forgiveness. And I'm telling you, if there's anything lacking in this conversation around justice today, it's the concept of forgiveness. And and I know some people have been hurt to a level that it's hard to even think about forgiving. And you look at it and you go, well, of course you want me to move to forgiveness quickly. You haven't been hurt in the same way. And this may be true. But here's all I know. You'll never experience freedom without it. The core of the universe goes to the forgiveness of God. And you desperately need it. And you desperately need to give it. You know, we live in cancel culture now. That as soon as somebody says something wrong, or they do something wrong, they're canceled. We're done with them. We're finished. Man, I I love that we serve a God who doesn't cancel people. And he has every right to. If there's anybody who knows everything that we've done wrong, if there's anyone who has a a reason to look at us and go, I'm done with you, it would be God. But we don't serve a God who cancels people. He redeems them. He forgives them. He loves them enough that Christ died on a cross so that each one of us could experience that. And out of that forgiveness then comes renewal, where Jesus makes all things new. You know, as we wrestle with these topics, and anytime you talk about something like racism, we talk about systems, there's a natural defensiveness that comes. And there may be parts, even as we look at some of these scriptures, you feel defensive about. 
I would encourage you, there's nothing more freeing than to repent, than to be honest with God. Instead of trying to prove that you're better than somebody else or prove that you've never done that, remember the parable Jesus told about the Pharisee and the publican? The two of them went to pray. And the Pharisee stood there and prayed. You know what he prayed? He prayed, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like all these bad people. I'm so thankful I've never done that. I'm not like that publican. And Jesus said he didn't walk away forgiven because he never repented. He never dealt with this stuff. And the publican went forward. He wouldn't even lift his eyes up. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, as we think about the gospel and justice, one of the starting places is just look at our own lives. Instead of trying to defend ourselves or prove that we've never done anything wrong, instead of being afraid you're going to get canceled, we can be open and honest with God. We can repent. We can ask for Him to be merciful to us. The final part of the gospel story is restoration. Restoration. As you look at that, one day Jesus will bring perfect unity and perfect reward while reigning in perfect power. Now, I chose those three terms on purpose because so much, if you read any critical race theory, if you read about cultural Marxism, it, it's a wrestling of our culture today around power. It's a wrestling around who's been victimized, who can see society clearly. It, it's a wrestling about how do you get power to the oppressed groups in that. And, and I want to tell you, the gospel again has the answer because one day, and only one day in Jesus, will we experience perfect unity of all people. And, and he's not trying to turn us all into the exact same kind of person. It says in Revelation, around his throne, there are people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Because God loves the mosaic. He loves all the people who reflect his image. And there'll be perfect unity. There'll be perfect reward. Perfect reward for a people who've lived on a planet where life has not been fair. And, and I have no expectation that you're going to get perfect reward on this side of eternity. I have every expectation that God rewards perfectly for all eternity. And frankly, it's a much better place to experience the reward. And then the final part is perfect power. Because only Jesus can wield perfect power. Jesus, who was God, and gave up his power so that he can serve us, now sits on that throne in absolute authority. And so I can trust him that if he didn't use his power for his own gain when he came, but to serve me, I can trust that he will wield perfect power now. Guys, I'd, I'd encourage you, again, every week I'm trying to just do a blitz so that we continue to go back to the big picture. Because I think if we lose the big picture, we get lost in different pieces. And so as we look at this, this gospel, the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, what God's doing in human history, He's also doing in our lives as well. We can also look within that gospel story. So how has God worked out justice in real time in human history? 
And for the rest of this message, I want to do something a little different. And I told you last week, a lot of times we don't learn much from the Old Testament. We don't learn from Israel's history. And, and I think there's some key places as God worked with the nation of Israel, he teaches us some principles of justice. And we can learn the things that are important to God. Now, I want us to be careful as we talk about this. Because I think a lot of times we go back into Israel's history and we don't just find the principles, we also want to find the exact application. And so we say, well, that's how God applied it there. That must be how he's going to apply it here. I want to go ahead and just say, God was working through a theocracy. He was working in a unique, unique way with Israel in a unique history and in a unique time. So I can't just take how he did it there and apply it one-to-one here in every way. But I can learn the principles of what God thinks about justice. I can learn the principles that as I take those principles and then I apply how he further revealed it in the New Testament, I learn how to apply those things in our time. Now next week, we're going to look more specifically, how do we apply some of those things? How do we think about them in those ways? This week, though, I think it's just good to expand our categories a little bit and look at what are some of these principles of justice. Look at the first one. Seems fairly obvious, but let's state it from Scripture. Everyone is to be treated with honesty and respect regardless regardless of status or race. Everyone is to be treated that way. Now remember, we we said that because they're image bearers. But but look how it happened in Israel's history. Because remember, Israel was God's chosen people. They were special. God had given them the promised land. God had given them the temple. I mean, he calls them special. And, And you would think if you were set up as a nation like that, it might be very easy to look down on other people. So what does God command them? Look at Leviticus 24, 22. He says, you're to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. You don't treat foreigners differently in my land. I am the Lord, your God. So he's he's not just making us a suggestion. Remember, he's the king. And so as the king... He says, look at your treatment of how you treat those who are outside of Israel. Look at another verse, Deuteronomy 24, 15. This one doesn't speak to the foreigner, it speaks to the poor. He says, pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and they are counting on it. I love that God is this practical. He says, I care enough about people that he knows they're going to go home today and if they don't have any money, they're not going to make it through today. So here's what he's commanding. You pay them today. You don't hold out on them today. Otherwise, they may cry out to the Lord against you, and you'll be guilty of sin. He goes, if they talk to me about it, look at how he ascribes it. A little later, he says, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, people without power. Do not take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. A pledge would be a deposit. If a widow needed to take a loan, and the only thing she has is her cloak, God says, uh, you don't need any equity from her. You don't take her cloak. You, you let her have it. And, and notice why he says this. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. You, you guys know what it's like to be redeemed. You guys know what it's like to be powerless. And so as God is setting up his government with his people, he says, we're going to set it up in a way that you're looking out for the powerless. 
You're looking out for those who don't have a father. In that culture, if you didn't have a father, the father as the patriarch in that system was the one that had the power for the family. He says, even if they're fatherless, you look out for them. Even if they're a foreigner, you look out for them. If they're poor, you think about what their daily existence is like. Uh, look at Jeremiah twenty-two thirteen. 13. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for the, their labor. Now that's a strong verse. Because he says, woe to the one who has built something on slave labor. And I think part of what we're wrestling with in our country is the sin of slavery, is the abuse that happens. And I think we're feeling that woe, that it was a wrong system, that, that you, you should never own people, chattel slavery like they were in our country. And, and Jeremiah declares it, woe to him. And so as we look at that as a country, as we wrestle with it, Again, I go back to the gospel. Instead of trying to defend it or wash it away or try to prove ourselves, what if we were like the publican and we said, God, would you have mercy on us? Our country needs mercy. Our country needs to face these things. And where we face them, would you forgive? Would you show us how to grow? Look at the next principle. Second one, steward what God has given you for His glory and for the good of others. There's a stewardship principle, and we see this in the New Testament. But the core thing here, and here's why I say stewardship, because we think everything we own is ours. And if it's mine, it's mine to do with what I want. And the Bible teaches over and over again, no, you're a steward of what God's given you. You're a steward of your resources. You're a steward of your power. You're a steward of your position. You're a steward of the things you have in your life. So how are you stewarding those things well? I, I don't believe it's right for someone to just take that from you. I don't think that the government's supposed to just redistribute wealth. I don't think Marxism is a way. It's never worked in human history, but that's my opinion. L let me go back to what Scripture calls us to. How do you steward it well? Uh, look at this command in Deuteronomy. It's one of the more fascinating ones of the gleaning laws that Israel set up. Uh, God writes, he says, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, so you're going along and harvesting and you don't pull one of the sheaves, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. So you're shaking the olives out of the tree. After you shake them out, don't do it a second time. Leave some up there. He says, leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That's why I command you to do this. You see what God's saying? So here's a person, he owns land, he owns olive trees, he owns a vineyard. And it would be easy to say, hey, this is my private property. I developed this land. I should be able to squeeze every bit of profit I want out of it. And, and God looks at me and says, that's not how my people operate. You're a steward. You're a steward of this land. You're a steward of those resources. And God's not denying them 
the bulk of it. Notice he doesn't say, well, everybody gets to come in and have their fair share. And he says, no, it is yours. But there's a principle of compassion that instead of squeezing it for all it's worth, you leave some for others. There's a spirit of generosity. There's a dignity in it as well. Notice it's not just charity that you give to them. You give them the opportunity to come and harvest. You give them the opportunity to come and work. See, stewarding the resources we have for the sake of others. It's a principle that you'll see in Scripture. Third principle you'll see is we have to recognize we have a collective and individual responsibility. And you'll see this especially throughout Israel's history. There's a collective responsibility that as a people, as a whole, and admitting we've sinned as a people. I think one of the best examples of this is in Daniel. If you read through the life of Daniel, you can read through the whole book and you'll not find one thing that Daniel did wrong in the book. I'm not saying he was sinless. There's just nothing recorded. But look how Daniel prays. He's praying to God for the nation of Israel. He says in Daniel 9, 4-6, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. You go, Daniel, you didn't do this. He goes, no, we've done this. We've been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, ancestors, and to all the people of the land. If you read through the rest of the chapter, he prays it over and over again, we did this. We did this. We did this. If you look at Daniel's life, Daniel didn't do any of those things. But notice he doesn't say, well, since I didn't individually do that, I have no culpability here. Here's what I love his humility in it. He says, we as a people, we did this. We did wrong. And so he's asking for God to forgive. Because there's a collective identity in that. We often don't see ourselves in that way, and I think it's one of the key issues around this, is that we, we don't see the collective whole, and maybe the collective damage that's been done. Now, you can go to the other extreme, and the children of Israel did that as well. That some of the kids were saying at some point, well, it, why obey God? We're going to be blamed for everything everybody else did. And so God corrects it in Ezekiel 18. He said, no, 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 no you're going to be held individually accountable for what you did. Look how he puts it in Ezekiel 18. He says, repent, turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of all the offenses you've committed. Get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. So as we look at this principle around justice, as we look at these things, there is a collective part that I think we have to look at it and go, where is a nation? Where is a people? Where even is a church collectively? Have, have people experienced racism in our hand? People have experienced racism in our country. And, and I know individually, if you're like me, I immediately go, well, I didn't do that. I didn't say that. I wouldn't do that. And that's true. But I can still be like Daniel. I can still come forward and go, God, this has been a part of our country. 
And we confess it before you. And we own it before you. Now, as I say that, you need to recognize this, though. When you stand before God one day, when He judges each and every person, He will look at your individual life. And that's why the gospel's so important. That's why if you've never experienced that personal repentance and forgiveness and renewal, you'll experience His full justice. The justice that was poured out on Christ is poured out on each person. Don't wait until that day. Own it. Experience it now. One final principle. One final principle. Number four, there is a challenge to speak, speak up and step up in the face of justice. That's the final thing I'd say you see in God's Word. It's not something that we just think about. It's not just something that you go, oh, yeah, that's really bad. If you look over and over again, the prophets specifically said, hey, what are you doing about it? Where are you making a difference? Look how Jeremiah puts it. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Don't just talk. Do. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who's been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Do not shed innocent blood in this place. Do you you hear what he's saying? What are you doing to help those who have no power? What are you doing for the sake of the foreigner? What are you doing for the widow? What are you doing for the fatherless? What are you doing for those broken places of society? Instead of looking at how they're broken, instead of looking at how they're oppressed, God's people step into it and go, all right, what can I do to make a difference? That's what he calls his people to. And and notice, and I'll, I'll close with this verse from Proverbs 31. He says in verse 8 and 9, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. You give voice for those who have no voice. You use your power for the sake of those who have no power. You think about those who are poor and needy. Now again, I'm talking about the principles here. I'm not talking about the application. We may disagree on application. Some of you may say, yes, we need to do that, so the government needs to do more. Some of you may say, no, the government will mess it up. Private enterprise needs to do more. I'm not telling you how to apply it. I'm telling you the principle, though, of Scripture is this is something we care about. This is something we speak for. And we speak for those who don't have a voice. You know, I can't read that Proverbs passage without thinking of the unborn as well. That if we don't speak up for them, I think one of the greatest forms of social injustice in America today is abortion. I think if you want to talk about systemic injustice, there are few organizations that have more systemic injustice than Planned Parenthood. If you go back to the writings of Margaret Sanger, who believed in eugenics, who believed you should breed out the lower races, as she would call it. Go back to the history of it. There's a reason why over 80% of the abortions of Planned Parenthood take place in the black community. It's systemic racism. And I believe as Christians, not just for the black community, but for all the unborn, we stand up and we go, this is injustice. 
we speak up, we stand up. But not just for the unborn. Notice what it said. It's for the poor. It's for the needy. It's for the widow. And again, as I say this, don't don't get lost in what you think I'm applying it to. I'm just talking about the principle. Does the principle weigh on our hearts? Do we pray about it? Do we think about it? Do we care about it? Because guys, it's a gospel issue. Now, I'll close with the story Christopher Wright tells of a friend of his, a friend who was from India, was a Hindu, and he grew up among the Dalit people. He was of the lowest caste in India. And because of that, he had been abused by those of the upper caste. And he became very angry in his life, so he was determined he was going to come to America, get a great education, make a lot of money, and turn the tables on them. He was driven by it. And when he came to America... He went into his room, and there was a Bible in his native language, first time he'd ever seen it. And he knew it was a holy book for Christians. And out of every place he could turn in the Bible, he opened the Bible to 1 Kings 21. It was a story of Ahab and Naboth. Ahab, this rich, powerful king, who abused his power to steal the vineyard of Naboth and have Naboth put to death. And and, and this young man said as soon as he read it, it was like reading his family story. His family had lost their land because a higher caste system had come in and taken it. People in his family had been killed. He, He said as he read the story, he's like, this is what happens in the world, this kind of injustice. But then he was amazed. Because as the story came forward, the prophet Elijah began to speak for God. And as the prophet of God, he condemned the king. He condemned the injustice. He said, this is wrong. And the young man said, you know, of the thousands of gods in Hinduism, I knew of none that identified with the oppressed. I knew of none that spoke of justice like this. And it was through that story through understanding that we serve a God of justice, that this young man moved to the bigger story of realizing that justice leads to forgiveness and that forgiveness comes through Christ alone. You know, in his words, he said, I never would have been there except a prophet stood up and spoke for God and spoke for justice. Guys, I think this is important for the church today. I think if we're not willing to wrestle with it, be uncomfortable with it, own it in different ways, not always agree on how to apply it or how to fix it, but at least go back to the core principles of what does the gospel say about this? How did God work in human history? And how does he want his church to live today? You know, next week I want to wrestle with some New Testament passages. I'd encourage you to read Romans chapter 13. It's a great passage for us to wrestle with. Wrestle with some of the ways that Jesus spoke about this as well. Because I think if we don't step forward and speak to these things and think about these things as kingdom people, we lose the opportunity to introduce people not only to the God of justice, but the God of the good news. That justice leads to forgiveness. And ultimately, 
to restoration of all things. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for Christ. I thank you that your word makes us uncomfortable. There's passages that I read today, even as I read them, I realized, do I really care in the way that I should? Am I acting in the way I should? Lord, I think the enemy wants to divide us right now about this. I think instead of coming together as kingdom people, as a church, and rolling up our sleeves and diving in, we're quick to get defensive or to blame or to be scared. Lord, I pray we would rest in your truth. I pray we would speak for those who have no voice. I pray we would care for those who are struggling to make it. I pray we would own our sins of the past. Maybe we didn't do them individually, but we'd own it collectively and have the humility of a Daniel to confess it. Lord, I pray that you would use this time what Satan means for evil. Would you use it for revival? Would you use it to point people to Jesus? Lord, that's our prayer, and we pray this in his name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.